When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inspire to Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. And it's been a little while, guys. So I just wanted to update you on what was going on. First and foremost, Happy New Year to you. And a little bit about what has been happening. I haven't had time to put out an episode recently. And that's because my wife and I just welcomed our first baby boy in November. So I've been just spending as much time as I can with him. And if I'm not with him, I'm trying to sleep. So um, now I've got some time and I've got some great episodes lined up. So I just wanted to let you guys know that we are back to every thir- every other Thursday. And so if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and uh, leave a review, share the podcast with anybody that you think might benefit from it. But by subscribing, you will be notified right away when these new episodes drop. And I've got some really exciting ones. Today is Chris Mamula joining the show. He is actually a retired or early retired physical therapist, and we're going to be discussing his view on financial independence and basically whether it's an all or nothing proposition. He believes that it isn't, and he's going to discuss why. He's also going to get into his book, which is the Choose FI book that he wrote alongside the Choose FI podcast with Jonathan and Brad. Um, If you guys are not aware of that podcast, you guys should definitely check it out. That's probably one of the podcasts that really introduced me to financial independence. So it was really cool to talk to him about how that experience was writing the book in collaboration with Choose FI podcast and some of the terms that they went over and discussed, such as being a valuist and what that means how you can apply that into your life. So stick around to the end. I think this episode is is a great one. Again, episodes will be dropping every other Thursday. I've got some great ones about real estate lined up and some, some really great guests joining the show. So subscribe, that way you're notified. And without further ado, here is Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So Chris, um, you have such a... Uh, awesome bio here that I'm reading. I mean, you're the primary author of Choose FI, which is a wonderful book that I've read several times. And you've been kind of documenting your journey, uh, your FI journey for a while. So I wanted to start there and just kind of get a little bit of your background, just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I um, kind of stumbled into the whole FIRE movement. Um, My wife and I were just naturally frugal. And so we both grew up uh, in families that didn't have a lot of money. And uh, we graduated uh, college in 2000 for my wife and 2001 for myself. And so we had like two professional incomes. And so either of our incomes were the same or more than we were our families had growing up. And so we were living pretty comfortably off of those. And so we just decided to live off of one and start banking the other. Um, just because it kind of felt good and it gave us some security. 
And we really had no intention of early retirement. We didn't really think that that was possible for people like us. We were just kind of, I guess, initially looking to save for a down payment on a house. And like I said, just have a little bit of security. And then over the years, um, we slowly got into investing. We slowly started to see this money grow. Um, still didn't really think that it was possible to like retire early. Uh, didn't take it seriously because we didn't see anybody else doing this. And, we, and you know, it was just kind of seemed like a pipe dream. And then um, after about 10 years of being married and not thinking we could have kids, uh, we found out my wife was pregnant. And that was really like the impetus to me to like get serious and like figure out like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? Can we retire early? Can we make at least more time for our daughter? And that's when I kind of stumbled into the fire blogs and, and they kind of hooked me and I went deep down that rabbit hole. And, and that's what brought me uh, to where we are today. That is so awesome to hear. Um, congratulations about that. That's I know that's difficult, but you know that's a blessing as well when it happens. So um, you must have been over the moon when it when when uh, you got your daughter. You said, yeah, it was it was kind of it was interesting. Like it was in one way, um, it was just we were so excited. Like we didn't think this was possible, and so it was just overwhelming joy and excitement. And honestly, though, like on the other hand. Um, like we were kind of, so we were just kind of, we got into like outdoor activities, rock climbing, skiing, and, and we kind of developed this like dirt bag mentality. And so we were kind of thinking like, you know, like we see a lot of people in that community who are, they're just kind of following their passions. And, but like, they're also like one accident, one just pregnancy, one anything away from financial disaster. And we didn't want that to happen to us, but like we were kind of just looking to build some security and then we were going to transition to a totally different way of life. And then like having this child, like, man, like we got to be responsible and be like real adults and learn how to do this. And uh, so honestly, I was almost like a little, I wouldn't say depressed, but like almost kind of felt a little bit trapped by it. And, and again, like that's where I kind of find this fire movement and finding that, okay, this is actually realistic and we can build this security and build this, uh, also build this different way of life at the same time. Uh, it was super encouraging and exciting for us. Yeah. So going back, I just want to take a step back and kind of start from the beginning. You, you're a physical, you were a physical therapist or you currently Correct. are. Okay. I was, yeah, I've been, uh, uh, I've not practiced since 2017 and um, kind of hesitant to say retired. I still have my license, but as of December of this year, it'll expire and I don't plan on renewing it. So yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I could officially say I'm retired as a physical therapist as of January and 1st, because I won't have a license anymore. And your wife was a physical therapist as well, or she currently still is? No. So my wife, uh, she, um, she just kind of had a, a pretty varied career, very different than mine, where I was like on one track and, and doing the same thing. She had a math degree. Um, a few years later, she went back and got an MBA, and then she has an operations research degree. And so she still works part-time uh, remote uh, for a company doing operations research, which is basically like a math modeling um, where they just look at how to make things more efficient um, for different industries. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of that background because it's so, so difficult in the fire movement or financial independence uh, community because you, you work or you go to school for so long and you get yourself into student loans, et cetera. And a lot of people have this idea of when they're in high school, they think, what do they want to do for the rest of their lives? So they dedicate a lot of time to going to college and building a craft to then for people in the FI community to then say, well, actually, I kind of don't want to do this in the next, you know, want to retire or quote unquote retire in 10 years. So talk to me about about that. How do you feel about not being a physical therapist anymore? Has that or when did that mind shift change for you? Because you you kind of started on this journey, but 
shortly after. You were still early in your physical therapist career. So can you talk to me a little bit about kind of that transition? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I would say quickly, like two Mm -hmm. or three years into my career, I was kind of realizing like, this isn't what I thought I signed up for. Um, I think like anybody in the healthcare professions, you kind of go in with this um, this attitude of wanting to serve and help people like this, um, I guess, altruistic uh, mentality. And um, I think quickly what you realize in the American healthcare system is everything is driven by uh, the payers, by the third party insurance. And there's just so much bureaucracy and administration and, and it just, it wears on, on me, it wore on me very fast. And I don't think I'm at all alone. Um, I see that. I saw that in a lot of my colleagues, other physical therapists, other physicians I knew. Um, I think where we, where I personally had a big advantage is um, my parents, um, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and I was the first generation to go to college, but that was very important to them. So they saved as much as they could. And also I think they were kind of, as I was growing up, they were training me how to be a, a good steward of money And so like, basically my mom sat down with me and said, you know, this is what we were able to save. We want to help you. Uh, But you know, if this runs out there, it's not a, like a bottomless pit of money. And so you have to make it stretch. So I actually, I took enough that it wasn't quite enough that would have covered my undergraduate um, tuition. And I stretched that into, I got my undergrad and my grad school uh, and my master's degree. And I graduated with actually a slight positive net worth, which is extremely rare and for any medical professional. And just did that through, I worked the whole time through college. I lived super frugally in college. Um, I got a scholarship that covered a lot of my master's degree. Um, so just a combination of things of just, you know, because I knew that that was the carrot that my parents dangled out there. It was like, if there's anything left, I keep it. And if not, I'm taking the loans on and I'm paying them. So, um, uh, so I was in a very fortunate position that I was able to start transitioning out. But like what I see with a lot of people in the medical professions is they have that same burnout, but they're trapped. And there's, I mean, they're so far buried in debt. Um, so I think um, like if people ask me, I mean, I'd be a hypocrite to say, don't go to college. That was a huge piece of my success. But what I would say is do anything you can to find a way to get uh, the education that you need uh, for the minimal amount of money that it, uh, that you can do it for. And whether that, whatever that means, scholarships, working, uh, military, um, you know, being a, a resident assistant. I mean, there's so many ways and things you can do uh, if you choose to look at the problem that way. But I think a lot of people, um, they're, they're given a hammer, which is student loans. And so everything starts to look like a nail. And so they're just, it's just debt, 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 because uh, that's the solution that most people think is, is really the only solution. And, and that's unfortunate. That's true. And, and it's so readily available. So like you said, once, if you're only given a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail and, and that's student loan right there. They just push it on you and you don't really know what you're signing up for a lot of times until it's too late. Um, but it seems like you had this, these principles of saving and uh, ignoring lifestyle inflation early on. Uh, where would you say you got those principles? Because getting out of school, a lot of people envision themselves with this higher income and they already have decided what they want to buy and what they're going to spend that money on. How did you just get out and say, well, I know I've got this extra income, but I'm going to save 50% like you, like you were. Yeah. So I think uh, my wife and I, we had, um, I guess probably similar income backgrounds as from our families growing up, but we were raised very differently. Um, But it kind of worked out nice where we kind of came together and got on the same page early in our marriage or even really before we were married. Um, And I think a lot of that, like I think the big advantage we had is neither of us grew up with having 
a lot of money. We didn't have a fancy lifestyle. We didn't do fancy vacations. We didn't wear fancy clothes, drive fancy cars. And that's just what we were used to. And so it was pretty easy for us. Like I said, like we were, when we got out of school, like the one thing that was important to us, we really fell in love with traveling really quickly. And so throughout the course of saving 50% of our income, uh, we traveled the world. Um, we've been We've been to Africa, we've been to Australia, we've done high altitude mountaineering, we've been all over the United States because that was what was important to us. Uh, but we really never spent on, I mean, we, we owned a house, but we bought way less house than we could quote unquote afford. Uh, we just decided like we had crappy cars in college and we kept driving them basically until they fell apart. And then we bought other used cars with cash. We've never had a car payment ever. Uh, we've never paid you know um, any interest on a credit card ever. Uh, my wife did have a small amount of student loans, even though she worked full time while going to school full time, uh, just her parents weren't able to help her at all. And so like, it was a priority before we got married, I helped her get out of debt. And so really, like a lot of these things where people are paying interest, um, we just never had those. And so we were able to live the things we truly valued, which was experiences and travel, we were able to do quite a lot of and live actually better than most people, because we didn't spend on the things that most people say, you you know, you quote, unquote, you have to. Yeah. And I like that because a lot of times financial independence comes off as this extreme lifestyle where we're all extreme frugalists and we're basically living, you know, uh, counting our pennies, et cetera. But uh, you were not, you weren't doing that. You were traveling the world and you have this idea of getting the big things right, which I've heard and, and spoke about with a few people already on the show, but um, talk to me about that. And, and what big things did you, are you referring to? Yeah, so I mean, I'll just go right down the order, kind of in, in chronological order. Um, so education was big for both of us. So you have to do something to acquire skills to increase your income. But like we talked about, most people to do that, they bury themselves in debt. So um, between my wife and I, we have six college degrees. Um, her bachelor's, um, she did it completely on her own without any parent uh, assistance. And she had about $20,000 in debt when she finished. Uh, and then the other five degrees between the two of us, we did with zero debt at all. So six degrees, $20,000 in debt. Um, that was a huge one. Uh, again, buying way less house than we could quote unquote afford, never having a car payment. Those were huge ones. Uh, and that was really just those three things of increasing our income without getting into debt and then limiting cars and, and housing um, costs was big. And then once we started building um, some wealth, like we always thought investing was really hard and we used an advisor and we had no idea what we were doing. And by the time 10 years down the road, we realized we had close to a half a million dollar portfolio, um, which sounded good. But I mean, the markets were doing pretty well at that time. And it was just, we were saving half of our income. So we, a lot of that was just our principal that we put in. And we had no idea what we were paying in fees and taxes. And once we decided to take control of that, like cutting investing fees, um, by the time we figured out what we were actually paying, we cut about $10,000 a year. And then just simple stuff like deferring into a 401k. We never used a 401k for that first decade. We had no idea. So just saving on the income taxes by deferring them and paying them at a much lower rate later. Um, we were investing all in taxable accounts because we weren't using tax advantage. So now we're creating all this uh, capital gains taxes year after year on money that we didn't actually need. And it should have been tax deferred and, and growing tax free. So that was probably another 10,000. Uh, so, I mean, these are big numbers. Um, we're talking like $20,000 a year. Now we're saving every year on taxes and fees on our investments. Uh, so just, again, those are definitely big things that will move the needle versus, you know, a coffee or whatever. Yep. And, and I agree. I mean, a lot of times we talk about saving money and um, being super frugal to save money and how much you can end up saving if you don't 
spend that extra $5 a day or $4 a day on a coffee cup. But you're right, maybe you can have that coffee cup if you got the big things right. Um, that is that is huge. And it leads to a more rewarding lifestyle, I believe, while pursuing financial independence. Um, you do talk about this idea that financial independence is not an all or nothing type of journey where we have this idea or this definition of financial independence where it's 25 times your annual expenses. Once you hit that number, you can quote unquote, say you're financially free. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the progression to financial independence and why you believe it's not an all or nothing type of deal. Yeah. And honestly, this is something I wish I would have figured out on my own a lot sooner. <laughs> um, so I went from like, you know, how much do you need to retire? Like I had no idea, like, and a million dollars, $10 million. Like I, I had no idea. So I had no target, which is why, you know, we, you know, we didn't really have a goal. We weren't working towards anything because um, working with a traditional advisor, like, you know, it's basically, it's like based on what your income is, not what your spending is. And so like learning that 25 times, it's a great starting point. And, and I love that. And I think that everybody should understand that. Uh, but then, you know, like as you really dive into the research on that, it's based on a traditional time frame of, uh, you know, 25 to 30 years. Um, it's based on past performance, which we're at a kind of a weird place in history where we've never seen interest rates this low and stock market valuations are also really high. Um, so is that going to hold up in the future? You don't know. And, and really, you never can be certain of anything. And so it kind of gets scary. Um, and so just, but I think what a lot of people miss and what I missed for quite a while is I was so focused on getting to retirement. And then we got close and we started to get scared and anxiety about this, you know, because it's, you're basically playing chicken of, are you going to live the rest of your life and run out of money before you run out of life? <laughs> and, but you realize like, as you're doing, as you're building financial independence, you're creating so many options for yourself if you're willing to accept that and not be bound to a traditional definition of retirement. So, um, you know, you can start to create uh, work that creates a little bit of income that's much more rewarding, and a little bit of income goes a long way. Um, when you look at that inverse of that twenty-four of that um, twenty-five times your income, which is the inverse of the four percent rule, rather. Um, if you create, you know, say $10,000 a year of income, which is really not very hard to do, particularly if you're a high enough earner that you're pursuing fire, that's the equivalent of having, you know, 250,000 extra dollars in your account. So, I mean, if you are willing to play with the math a little bit, it gets, it gets pretty fun pretty quickly. And there's so many options that open up to you that, you know, you can pursue a much different way of life much more quickly if you're not bound to that. So uh, it's good to understand, but it's also good to not get bogged down in it. I, I love that you brought that up because it kind of touches on the different uh, types of fire. For example, coast fire or barista fire, where your coast fire, I believe, is when you have enough money invested that you don't have to contribute anymore. And by the time you reach regular 65-year-old traditional retirement, you'll have enough to retire healthily. And barista fire is where you have enough money, I believe, from your traditional, I'm sorry, your investments, that it's kind of supplementing you and you can just have a part-time job. Is that, am I getting that right? Honestly, there's so many different terms. Like, so <laughs> I don't think I used any of those, like, but in our book we used, there, there was a guy who, uh, the basis for the chapter in our book that we talked about, this was Joel from the, um, the blog FI 180. And he talked about different stages of financial independence. And we kind of modified his a little bit for the, for the book, but yeah, I think like, the key thing is just realizing that the more you have, the more options and the more freedom that you have. Uh, but like one thing I would say, my understanding, I think that it's called barista fire or whatever, but like, I think like it's your financial independent, but you without your healthcare. So maybe like people work 
at Starbucks or whatever, I think is where they came from because they, they provide healthcare. But I mean, I think that's a great point just thinking about. So if you look at the full cost, like I was just looking at this for our family. And if you look at the full cost of health insurance, I think it's something like $16,000 a year for my family of three. But if you go with the subsidized, I mean, you could basically, if you can manipulate your income, you can get it for almost free. And then depending how much money you earn, it's somewhere in between. And if the law changes, you know, that could go away and we're all stuck playing the full price and nobody really knows. And so like, that's just a great example of the uncertainty when you're kind of locked into traditional retirement. But again, if you had to earn 15 or $16,000 to pay for your healthcare and you're otherwise financially independent, Again, that opens up a lot, heck of a lot of options. You don't have to be a barista and work full-time at Starbucks or whatever, but there's a lot of different ways. You can just pay for your healthcare if you can earn that small amount of, relatively small amount of money um, in a way that's enjoyable and, and rewarding. We'll be right back to the show. But with all this talk about investing, I did want to share a special promotion that M1 Finance is running right now, where if you open a new account with them and fund your first $100 into that account, they will give you a free $30 which is a 30% return on investment right there. And again, this show is all about getting started with investing. And so I thought this was perfect timing. I think you guys should definitely take advantage of this promotion while it lasts. There is a link in the description below for you to take advantage of that. Again, you get $30 for free when you open a new account with M1 Finance. And I think M1 Finance is fantastic. I have an account with them as well. It's actually the account that I'm going to be funding the bright future for my son, uh, who's six months right now. So by you opening an account and uh, funding $100, you will get a free $30. And my son will also get $30 that over 18 years will hopefully compound to quite a bit. So thank you if you do. And I hope that it helps on your journey towards financial independence. And now back to the show. Yeah. And I think that's why I wanted to bring that up was because a lot of times financial independence in the traditional sense, 25 times your earnings or expenses seems kind of daunting, especially if you have to achieve a million dollar or more portfolio, you might, you know, for someone starting out might just say that's not achievable for me. But what you're highlighting is that along the way you gain this power, this freedom, this peace of mind that allows you to have options and um, you don't have to have that, you know, traditional financial independence route. You can go many different ways. And um, you've even chosen to take a couple years off recently and um, quote unquote work on the book, but um, it's not really work in a way because, you know, it's your passion project. Um, but talk to me a little bit about that because you've reached this number, you've reached this financial independence and there's also this issue with the retirement early part. Um, so how have you handled that? Uh, for, I'll just say first off, having never written a book until this one, and I don't know if I'll ever write another one, it is definitely work. <laughs> I, it was definitely a passion project, uh, but it, it's work. Um, and, um, but yeah, I think we, we, just, we just kind of, I guess my approach from this point on is like choosing things that I find rewarding, things that maybe I'm learning from. Um, and. And yeah, so like the first two years, I really devoted to writing the book and editing and then working on promoting um, after it came out. It's been almost a year now. And I'm still, I mean, that's what we're talking here about a little bit. But um, so that's something I'm still doing a bit. But yeah, I'm kind of looking for that next project. And uh, 
it's kind of like the whole COVID situation has thrown a weird monkey wrench into everything. And, and so honestly, uh, I don't know what that next thing is. I've kind of been, it's been a luxury that we have a seven-year-old daughter. And so like I was basically just homeschooling her and then kind of hanging out with her over the summer. And I was able to put everything on the back burner, which was a luxury. Uh, but it's also like when you're financially independent, um, that blessing can also be a little bit of a curse because like you can kind of get yourself into a rut. And so now I'm trying to figure out what is that next thing? What do I really want to do? Um, and so, and that's kind of the challenge I think that I'm facing now and, and I'm still figuring that out. So I don't have a great answer for you. Well, I think that's a good point because I think a lot of times people envision that their life is just going to be exponentially better and happier once they reach that financial independence point or number. Um, but you're right. There is still some struggle that comes from your purpose or what's meaningful to you at this time. And and I do think that that's a good reason to start thinking about that and start creating that lifestyle that you may want even before you've reached financial independence, because you can't necessarily wait eight to 10 years or 15 years to start believing that that's when life will get better and you'll be happier for some reason once you can quit your job or you have a few money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a really great point. And, um, you know, and there's also some benefits to continuing to work as far as uh, for your mind and, and for satisfaction, I guess, right? Yeah. And I think one that I would add is, you know, it just, it allows you to start making transitions sooner. Like we talked about not being locked into that traditional definition of retirement. But I think if you, like, like I talked about my wife and I, like we had this high savings rate. And so I say, we like basically say 50%, we basically lived off one income and saved the other. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I mean, that's not true. Like there was years when we saved substantially more than that because there was just nothing that we particularly wanted to spend our money on. There was other years, like we talked about some of our travels. Um, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I was a big Steeler fan. And uh, I kind of always said if they ever made the Super Bowl, I was going to go. And so uh, Super Bowl, I think it was 40. It was up in Detroit. It was drivable. We have family up there. So it was like, screw it. And we went up and, you know, scalped tickets and then dropped $5,000 in a day and because it was something we wanted to do. And so uh, like you're living with that abundance, right? When you're saving that, much, when you have that high of a savings rate where, you know, you can spend or save and it doesn't really move the needle that much more because you're already saving so much. And then you go to retirement and you're talking about like this 4% uh, drawdown and living on a tight budget. And it feels very restrictive. So like if you're willing to do some work, uh, A, you can kind of transition sooner. Uh, and B, also it kind of gives you that freedom to continue to have that abundance mindset versus I think a traditional retirement can really start to quickly bring on that scarcity mindset. Uh, or the alternative, I guess, is, you know, you work to you maybe get it to it's 33 times, you have a 3% drawdown, or maybe some people, they still feel scared because I don't think you ever feel like you have enough. And and so people just work longer and longer to to eliminate all that because I think people in the fire community tend to be pretty conservative. And so I think like just changing that approach, it really opens a lot of doors and and gives you more options. That's a great point. And I kind of want to talk a little bit more about that. But first, that's an awesome story. You went to a Super Bowl and the Steelers won, didn't they? (laughs) So they did. And like my story to myself was, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so like, we're just going to take this money and splurge. And so we did. And that was our once in a lifetime. And I thought I had that out of my system. And then three years later, uh, they were in Tampa. <laughs> and so my dad and my brother, so again, like Steeler football is like religion if you're from Western Pennsylvania. And so my dad and my brother got tickets uh, from someone they knew. And so then uh, I have, uh, my dad has a cousin who lives in Tampa and his neighbor was season ticket holder for the Bucks, And they somehow got this, the Super Bowl tickets. 
and they were just looking to sell them for face value. So this time it was cheaper, but now I had to fly to Tampa. So he <laughs> called me like on the Wednesday before the game. And I said, let me put you on hold for one second. I went to my boss. I said, could I have off next Monday? He's like, I guess. And I said, okay. I went back. I said, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. So we actually we went twice. <laughs> so Nice. <laughs> That is yeah. that is awesome. I'm a football <laughs> fan too, and that's one definitely something on my bucket list. So um, that is awesome that you went to two of them, and one uh, of your own team, your favorite team, and they won. So that's crazy. But both of them were Steeler. Yeah, they they, they were oh, both yeah? great games. So. Oh, the Steelers. I, I'm pretty sure I got it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got it out of my system. So I don't think I'm going <laughs> to a third one. But. Well, and coming back to Phi in a way, I mean, you t- that's kind of a valueist mentality, and I think that term is something that was introduced in the book as well, which just since we brought it up, I think it would be great to go into that. We're talking about spending money on what you value instead of having this dogma kind of approach or this idea where like spending money is bad. You need to be frugal, but I mean, you drop 5k on Super Bowl tickets. That's anti buy in a way, but you know, explain this value mentality if, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I'd never heard the term. So the, the book is based on the choose FI podcast and mm-hmm. we just took all of their episodes and all these different concepts. And I think this one was just from someone that called in or wrote into the show and they, they introduced this term of a valueist and I absolutely loved it. Um, and basically what the concept is, is, you know, you're not necessarily frugal or you're not spending anything or you're not necessarily a minimalist where you're trying to eliminate all your possessions, but you're a valueist. You're spending your money on the things that align with your values, but not what necessarily society values. So like I talked about, I worked in a medical facility. And so the car I drove it, my grandfather, um, he was a car guy and he bought this new car when he was like in his eighties and he hardly ever drove at all. So, and, and he was a horrible, like at the end, like he was getting senile and he was a horrible driver and he was hitting stuff left and right. And he, we finally got him to agree when he was 90, he was going to give up his car. <laughs> and so he didn't want to sell it. Um, Cause he was going to lose all this money. So he offered to give it to one of the grandkids. So I took it and I mean, I had to get it painted. It was so beat up. And like, it was, it was a grandfather car. It had like the cloth seats and it was, it was, you know, by this point, five or six years old. Uh, but I drove that car my whole career that my, my coworkers called it the Patmobile. They tease me about it and stuff. And so like, if you look at that, like I look pretty frugal and like, I had like, when I was working, um, I saw this Steve Jobs thing, like he had one outfit and I was like, that kind of makes sense. So like, I didn't go that extreme, but like I had, I only, I got rid of everything that didn't match. I had like brown shoes and a brown belt just because I didn't want to have a black set too. And like, so I was like, I was like, I didn't care about clothes. I didn't care about cars, stuff like that. I mean, I, I guess in some aspects you could look at me and say, yeah, I was extremely frugal. But then on the other hand, like I said, like experiences and travel and stuff like that. I mean, we were anything but frugal and we were spending basically whatever we wanted, but, uh, Again, it all comes down to cent, um, lining up your spending with your values. And we saved on the things we didn't really care about. And so we spent pretty extravagantly on the things that we did care about. And uh, uh, again, because we got the big things right, there was plenty left over to save. I love that idea of valueist, spending money on what you value and, and not spending money on anything else, not what society tells you that you should spend your money on. And obviously what you value seems to be family travel experiences adventure um so i'm i'm i i'm with you on that one i think that you made a good choice on doing that and that's going to be a memory for your lifetime so that's great for sure Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that now that we know your motivation and if somebody has their motivation set too they know what exactly they value etc how do you start to integrate that into your into your life like how did you integrate I think you've had a, you moved from PA to, to the mountains of Utah. Are you there right yep. now? Yep. I live in Ogden, Utah. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. So how did you make that decision? That's a, that's a big decision. Post-Fi, I believe. Yeah. So we kind of talked about um, pre-Fi. Like our, our idea was just, you know, we we're going to kind of live this kind of dirtbag, ski bum lifestyle and kind of have enough security. So we would, you know, we'd never be in too dire of straits, but we didn't think we could really retire. And we actually, we were kind of, um, my wife, uh, when she was finishing up her, her third degree uh, in operations research, again, where they look, kind of look at like efficiency and, and processes. And there was a company called Black Diamond that's in Salt Lake City. And she just reached out to them. And, you know, she wanted to know like how they look at their safety standards for these, this gear that we used a lot and we were climbing on. And um, so they were really willing to give her information and start talking to her. And that's how she kind of got a foot in the door. And uh, they had a job opportunity um, on their website. And so she contacted this person she had an in with and she said, you know, we're coming out there to ski. What could I be, would I be able to stop in and talk to you? And she went through this like four month process where like she was totally unqualified for the job that they had, uh, but they just really liked her initiative of doing this stuff and they created a job for her. And so we were going to move out there. And this was like the uh, probably uh, April of 2012. We were actually looking to put our house on the market and everything. And that's when we found out she was pregnant. And so then we decided like to stay close to our family and uh, to get serious about the financial part. And but like in the back of our head, we were always like just wondering, like, what if we always wanted to move west? We always wanted to live in the mountains and just live a different lifestyle. So um, our daughter was starting kindergarten and that was really the big push for us to make the transition when we did more than like hitting any particular FI number or anything. It was just if we didn't leave when she was starting um, kindergarten, it was probably something that wasn't going to ever happen. And so we just, yeah, we up and sold our house and moved out to here. And, and so we've been living here about three years in the mountains. Nice, nice. And was that a bit of geo arbitrage as well? Like, did your cost of living go down at all? Or was that a factor? Uh, Or was it more just you wanted to be in the mountains? Yeah, it it was more of the the latter. And, and honestly, if you look at just housing costs, um, the housing costs here are, are, they're still reasonable uh, where we are. But they're I mean, they're going up 10 or 15% a year. And where we were at in Pennsylvania, it was kind of a depressed uh, steel mill, coal mining area, uh, and property values were very stagnant. And so and that was another thing that kind of pushed us just to make a move. We, we came out here looking for a house, knowing we weren't ready to, leave, to move yet. And we bought it a year ahead and just rented it. Uh, Cause like every year we were staying there, we were losing 20 or $30,000 on the house. Cause houses here were appreciating and houses back there that we were selling were not. Um, and so that was kind of another, another thing that pushed us. But like what we realized is we were able to make a fairly lateral move. Like the, the house we bought was about the same price as the house we sold. Uh, we downsized to get into a place that we could afford for that. But like now that we're here, um, we're not spending, like if you go on a ski vacation, it's $100 and $120 a day for a lift ticket. You're buying, you know, you're getting a four wheel drive vehicle to get to the mountain. You're buying a cross country flight. And like now we just live here. And so we buy a, we buy like the value pass that blocks us out on the peak, peak times, like on the holiday weekends. And otherwise, I mean, we ski 50 days a year for 500 and five, $600, whatever our season pass is. And yeah, so it's just a totally different approach. And we were able to, because we live close to the things we really want to do, we dropped down to one car from two. And so actually our cost of living is probably a little bit less, even though it's a higher cost of living area. So yeah, I think you have to look beyond just um, housing costs and traditional cost of living metrics when you're looking at the geo arbitrage. That sounds like a ton of fun. And I've never actually skied myself, but it's something I want to do as well. And then I'm from Florida, so it's tough to... It's a definitely, I, I don't know what gear to get, you know, I wouldn't even know where to go, but definitely on my bucket list as well to start skiing one day and, and just enjoy that. Seems like a lot of fun. 
And that's something, again, growing up, not having a lot of money, it's not a cheap sport to get into. And so, I mean, we never, I never skied until I was 29, 30 years old. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty addictive. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of my one thing I love to do more than anything, I think. Well, that's really cool. And, and that mentality that you have from a young age, uh, and then throughout your, your fight journey kind of helped with the transition, I'm guessing, because like you said, you dropped one car, you were able to kind of adjust and be flexible with your lifestyle so that even though the cost of living per se with housing and stuff is not cheaper, you're still able to make it happen because you're, you just have this flexibility built in, in your lifestyle already because of everything you've done. And then that's the importance of this ability to adjust on the fly. And that's why a lot of times these ideas of financial independence where you want to be super conservative, even using not the 4% rule, but the 3% rule. Um, I like what you mentioned in the end, as long as you just have enough money and you're, I guess you're just progressing towards it, you can adjust no matter what happens. If the worst happens, you're still better off than if you didn't plan for anything. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we live in a world where like, it's, you know, it's quote unquote, it's hard to save 5% and like, you almost have to feel guilty telling somebody they should save 10% of their income because it's just, it's hard. And like, that's the standard narrative. And I think the person that you become on the way to FI, the person that can just block out what society says, and you're living, you're saving 50% or 60% uh, or even 30%. It's such a different uh, way of thinking and way of approaching life. And, and you just learn to solve problems in different ways. Like there's so many different ways to solve problems other than just throwing money at it. Um, And I mean, there's definitely like, I know before, like my last couple of years of working after we had our daughter, like it was hard to get out and climb. And so like my side hustle as I reached out to the local university was opening a climbing wall and I reached out and I said, is there any way I can get in and maybe like just volunteer to help teach the classes or anything? And like, they were really strict and like, they were like, you know, it's only for students and staff. And I was able to kind of, I was persistent. And so a couple of weeks later, I got a call back and the person that was teaching quit. And she said, you know, would you want to teach? And I was like, Sure. And so I ended up making like about $5,000 a year. And I just, we were already saving so much. And so that ended up being like our college fund for our daughter that we front loaded. And then I had basically the keys to the gym. So I basically had my own climbing gym that was like less than 10 minutes from my house. And, uh, but just, I mean, if I would have just went and joined the gym and paid, you know, $1,000 a year or whatever, um, versus looking for a creative way to get in there. And I actually found a way to make money and then also have access way more than when the gym was open. So it's just a different way of thinking. And there's so many examples of that, that, you know, uh, I think you develop when, on the way to, to getting to this point that, yeah, there's always a way to find, um, to, you know, to make more money or to spend less and, and to still have fun in the process. And that, that was a big knock, I think, even recently on the financial and, you know, community, I mean, uh, fire movement which was, uh, is the fire movement dead? I think I saw an article about that after the pandemic hit. And, and uh, I actually, I just think it's made it even stronger, if anything, because it's shown you the importance of having this FU money or having this intentional way of living and intentional way of spending your money that puts you in a better position, regardless if we're in good times or in bad times. Um, so yeah, I, thought, I think that's important to highlight. And somehow, some way, even when you reach your financial independence point, a lot of the, a lot of uh, people are finding ways to make money. I, maybe it's just the way it's ingrained in us. But uh, yeah, if we're, 
high achievers or people that you know see ourselves getting to financial independence somehow some way writing a book or picking up a side hustle you can come up with making five ten thousand dollars on the side here and there yeah i think old habits die hard so yeah it's it's um it's just i think it's kind of becomes the person that you are um and you don't just stop that when you hit 25x and leave your job or whatever it's just kind of i think it becomes ingrained in you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I want to thank you one more time for coming on the show. And, and I hope that we see a choose FI two book maybe in the future. Um, but you know, we'll give you some time to take a break and uh, <laughs> recharge. But yeah, I, I highly recommend this book and um, you are on can I retire yet.com. Is that right? Yep. That's my blog. That's my home on the internet. And then the book is choose FI your blueprint to financial independence. And you can get that anywhere. And I'd love if people connect with me either place. And uh, I love meeting people on the journey and, and uh, figuring out, you know, what gets them stuck. And it kind of gives me things to write about and, and also new things for me to learn about. So yeah, I love to connect with people. Cool, Chris. So again, thank you so much and enjoy the skiing in Utah. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on. We could talk a little bit more about this, but Again, thank you so much, and uh, till next time. It's been my pleasure, and I'm happy to talk. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Chris, and I will definitely be welcoming him back onto the show. Some things that I thought were very interesting and just wanted to kind of hit home at the end of the episode was the fact that he just didn't, you know, he didn't believe that FI was an all-or-nothing proposition, and I don't believe it is either. Um, what I've noticed is that you don't just reach financial independence and then get all the benefits from it at that point. You slowly progress towards it. And with every 1% or 10% of, along the way, you, you sort of get uh, some of the benefits from it in terms of freedom. Uh, you start to feel that anxiety lift off your shoulders in terms of financial anxiety, flexibility and schedule, or what you want to do. You can take a year off, you can take a couple months off, you can switch to a completely different career or something that you enjoy. So really, financial independence is not something that you just wait until you get to that fine number and then enjoy all the benefits. So I thought that that was pretty, pretty crucial because a lot of people think that from the beginning, it's either too late or there's no benefit. If you don't reach financial independence, then... You know, if you don't think you're going to get to that 25 times your annual expense number, then there's no point in even trying. But really what we're seeing is that you should try to be financially independent, even if at the beginning you don't think you're going to be able to reach that fire number. Because really, even if you are a quarter of the way, halfway there, a tenth of the way, it doesn't really matter. You gain that power back in your financial life. So I thought that that was really important to hit home with. The other uh, mention that I wanted to talk about to end the episode was just the fact that FIRE does not require any extreme lifestyle. So Chris mentioned some of the big things that you can get right from the beginning or even on the beginning of the financial uh, independence journey. So limiting your education costs are a big one if you can do that. Some people like myself, it's already too late. I got myself into $150,000 of student loans. So I just have to get out of that. But if you can limit your education costs from the beginning, that's huge. Uh, so some things that you can do uh, if you're past that is limiting uh, expenses on cars or housing. For example, you can use a used car. 
You can sell your car, ride a bike if that's possible in your area. You can also house hack or downgrade your house a little bit. So things like that, those are big expenses that really make a big impact. So yes, you can bypass your Starbucks coffee and that's three to five dollars a day, which is a small leak in your budget. However, you can also make a bigger impact with cars or housing or education costs. You can also make a big impact on by increasing your income, which is something he discussed as well. So again, FI is not an all or nothing proposition, and it's actually not an extreme lifestyle either, as long as you get some of these big expenses uh, out of the way. So anyways, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I'm trying to bring you as much value as I can with these episodes and with our guests. So if you did find value, go ahead and subscribe and check out the link below. It's uh, pretty exciting. So the Financial Gym and I are partnering and they are offering you guys a 15% off. So check it out. I think it's a really great deal. Uh, They work one-on-one with you to make sure that you get to your financial goals and they lay out a plan and everything. They really do a good job of increasing your net worth. The average net worth increase is $4,000 in six months. And I mean, if you've got uh, some money to invest in yourself, you can really get on the right path with them three to six months time just to make sure everything is set. You have somebody looking over it with you. And then after that, you can take uh, matters into your own hands and just glide to financial independence if you'd like. So um, again, I thought that that was really an awesome partnership and I recommend them. Uh, I wouldn't recommend them otherwise. They are a great company and they reached out to me because it's just a great fit. So uh, again, check out the link below, schedule a free consult with them. It's a free phone call. See if you like it. Mention that you saw them on this podcast. So again, subscribe and we'll see you on the next episode.